Hello, and welcome to Law, the Universe, and Everything. I'm your host, Pacifico Soldati. The show explores topics from law and business to consciousness, spirituality, and everything in between. We feature accomplished leaders across many fields to help you get more out of your life. You can learn more and stay up to date at theluepodcast.com. If you're not familiar with my background, I'm a helper, parent, marketer, attorney outlaw, certified mediator, story brand guide, omnist, yoga teacher, and a former paratrooper and award-winning army chef at the 82nd Airborne Division and U.S. Army Special Operations Command. I'm the founder and CEO of the Soldati Group, a marketing agency helping startups, small businesses, and law firms leverage the power of story to grow their businesses. Law of the Universe and Everything is a production of the Soldati Group. All opinions expressed by the hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of the Soldati Group or guest employers. This podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only, and these discussions do not constitute legal or investment advice. Today's episode is brought to you by Prosperitas, an an animation agency that can help you bring your company's ideas, values, products, and messages to life with the power of engaging videos. Whether you strive to win more customers, engage, or educate your audience, Prosperitas will craft each video specifically targeted to fit your brand and vision. Visit prosperitasagency.com today to learn more. That's P-R-O-S-P-E-R-I-T-A-S agency.com to find out how Prosperitas can create the best videos your company has ever had. My guest today is Deanna Wan. Deanna is the founder of Keynotes to Life and an international best-selling author, speaker, and holistic health coach who inspires people to reach their highest potential through integrating leadership principles with purposeful and healthy living. A graduate of the United States Air Force Academy, former colonel and physicist, Deanna has 30 years experience in lasers, electro-optics, satellite launch, missile defense, NATO operations, and chemical, biological, and nuclear defense. At the height of her career, Deanna was diagnosed with ovarian cancer and admitted into hospice with only four weeks to live. Miraculously, she recovered using an integrative medical and holistic approach. Being given the second chance at life fuels her passion to inspire, educate, and empower. Deanna's leadership scenarios are featured at Stanford University. She's been a regular speaker at Georgetown University School of Medicine, enabling the next generation of medical practitioners toward earlier diagnosis of ovarian cancer. Deanna is a certified holistic health coach functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner, and graduate of the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. Additionally, Deanna received the American Institute of Aeronautics and Astronautics first place award in public policy and was honored as Woman of the Year 2015 to 2016 by the National Association of Professional Women. Thank you so much for joining me today, Deanna. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much, Pacifico. It's great to be here. So I'd love to know what first inspired you to join the Air Force? That's a great question. When I was a little girl, I told my parents that I wanted to be a pianist or a gymnast, and uh, they told me that I couldn't really do that, that I needed something solid. And I guess probably because my father was an Air Force fighter pilot and also retired colonel, probably that might have had some influence, but I started looking at some of the catalogs that he had for the U.S. Air Force Academy because he was also working as a liaison officer. And so before I knew it, I felt inspired to go there because when I observed the cadets there, it just seemed like they had so much confidence 
And uh, so I applied and got the congressional nomination, just went in. And I, I thought I would just work, do my five-year commitment in the Air Force and then get out. And I was, my plan was to go to music school. But I was having a great time. I, I love being able to just change jobs every two to three years. The work never got old. And the mission areas that I worked in were very exciting. Before I knew it, I spent about 30 years. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, I'd, I remember I'd have my three-year days and 20-year days, eventually end up with six years in total. But uh, yeah, that's incredible. Thank you for your service. I mean, 30 years, is uh, that's a hell of a journey. Yeah, it sure has been. Thank you for your service as well. Oh, thank you. So I'd love to know, how did your military experience prepare you for life after service? I think just having a research background in science and technology, it's given me a, a very analytical mind. And when confronted with problems in life, I pretty much applied the same research and analytical perspective. And when you're in places that are, you know, considered hazardous duty, you learn to overcome fear. And so that's something that I think has also prepared me for life in that you don't get paralyzed in the fear, you acknowledge it. But then for me, it was really understanding the nature of whatever issue was confronting me. And then once I understood it, you develop a game plan and then you execute it. So these are all definitely things I learned in the military. And what were some of your career highlights, some of your favorite experiences serving? I would say I loved working in NATO. At the time, there were 26 different nations in that organization. And I just love looking at the consensus process that they use to make decisions. And I also enjoyed my time in, in Turkey, where I worked as a deputy group commander. I, I just really enjoy, I learned so much just from talking to people from different nations and states, because if you just stay in the United States, you, there, there's just a certain perspective that you have. But when you, and I'm sure probably have gone overseas, you understand what I'm talking about. You, you learn so much. And usually the, the, the decision that's arrived at with the whole group and all the different perspectives is usually so much better than if it's just by yourself trying to make a decision on something. Oh, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, I spent about eight and a half months in Afghanistan and then four in Niger in both cases, especially in Niger, got to on a weekly basis going buy food off the local economy and just, I think it was probably the third lowest country on the world economic indexes. And I'd meet people not just living in mud huts and things like that. I'd meet people that lived in houses made of t-shirts and sticks and they'd somehow withstand 90 mile an hour winds during a haboob and just, just absolutely just incredible things. You just have no idea like how someone can survive and people are just living their lives and, and you just start to learn like how similar everyone is. Like we're all in this together and there's so much more that unites us than divides us. Oh, absolutely. So well said. Yeah. And I, I just saw so much just in terms of poverty in certain places, but yet I saw this happiness and joy that the people had in spite of just the lack of material wealth. And I just thought that was very profound to, to witness. 
Oh, absolutely. I, I always thought of a fight club. There's like the scene where he goes to his first fight club and he comes back to his office and he says, turn the volume down on life. And I, I feel like deploying was that same experience. And you came back here and you hear people complain in the U.S. about some quote unquote first world problems. And but it's like everything people complain about. It's just like, are you kidding me? Do you know like the wealth of riches that like is just your daily life, even if you don't have a lot of money in the U.S.? It's like it's pales in comparison uh, to what people deal with in some other parts of the world. And so being able to really open up and, and get those perspectives, I think it's so vitally important. Yeah. And, and like you said, like seeing people experiencing joy and, and happiness and like true contentment with literally nothing, they would still give you like the shirts off their back. It's just like an incredible vitality and love for life. That's just, it's infectious. Yes. Yes, it is. I remember when I was in Turkey too, there's just such a level of trust that I hadn't really experienced in this country. But in Turkey, I would pull out a bill to pay the, the taxi cab and he didn't have the change. And so he gave me the entire bill back, gave me his cab number and says, oh, you can just come and find me tomorrow and pay me. I, I had never experienced that in the U.S., but just was so touched that there was just such a level of trust. Oh, yeah, absolutely incredible. So I'd love to hear about your journey. You basically got a terminal cancer diagnosis. And so what was that like from both the diagnosis through to your miraculous recovery? I can still remember on, it was a Thursday night in October when the oncologist called me and she told me that I had ovarian cancer and I felt so much fear. I, I couldn't even sleep. From that moment on, I would just cry through all hours of the night because I not only equated cancer with death, but a horrific death, one of suffering and pain. And within days, so this was on a Thursday when I was told this, on Sunday, I was on a plane to go to Florida to travel, and I was going to a holistic place to seek out how to really heal naturally from cancer. And I was exploring different diets. And one of the diets I really felt was extremely helpful was switching to an organic raw vegan one. And so what was interesting is that after about three months of completely changing my diet, just from the standard American one where I ate pretty much everything to the organic raw vegan one, my elevated cancer markers um, actually dropped back to normal and the tumor that was in my left ovary began to shrink. And so I felt like that was my sign that I was on the right track and I was really encouraged by that. And I kept that up for probably, I would say, like a year and a half. And I went to a number of different places. And what was interesting is my doctor actually encouraged this. And at one of the places that he encouraged me to go to, he actually did a before PET CT scan and an after PET CT scan. And for those people who aren't aware of what that is, it's basically an imaging scan where you can see where there are active cancer cells in your body based on uptake of glucose, depending on what cells you're looking at. And so before I went to this facility, we could see that there was still an elevated uptake of glucose, which is consistent with cancer cells. And then I went to this facility and three weeks later, I came back and did a follow-up CT scan, PET CT scan. And it was amazing because the uh, glucose uptake was normal. In other words, it was comparable to normal cells. 
And then my doctor actually showed me the scan and says, look, the, the tumor's actually uh, dying from the inside out. And so I thought, oh, great. And I was very naive in many ways about cancer. I thought that the issue was resolved. And so I went back to working my 16 to 18 hour day in the Air Force. And then I went overseas for my job to different parts of Asia where I could not keep up with that same diet and regimen. And by the time I got back to the United States, all the good progress that was made had completely reversed and the tumor began to grow aggressively. It tripled in size in a span of three months and then it spread to my entire abdominal lining and into my lungs, uh, collapsing both my lungs and they filled with fluid. And at that point, they placed me into hospice and put me on oxygen. And so that was probably one of the lower points in my life because I felt, wow, at that point, I think I, yeah, it was about 20, 24 years in the Air Force. And um, I just thought, wow, I've given the better part of my you know, adult years to the Air Force. And now I'm not even going to be able to live to see my retirement. And it was really rough. It just nothing can really prepare you to hear that you've got four weeks to live or whatever it is a doctor tells you. And so it felt like I was having the carpet pulled out from under me and it felt like I had so many more dreams to, to accomplish in life, but I wasn't going to live to see them. And so, it, you know, it, it was something that was a struggle to really come to terms with my mortality. And so I basically just continued along with the same diet and regimen up until the point where I could no longer eat any more solid food. And so this was about 40 days where because of the aggressive tumor growth my and all the fluid, I had really severe edema. I would gain 10 pounds of fluid in just one day. And my lung, my left lung and my stomach were shifted further to the left. And so that really precluded me from eating because anytime I tried to swallow anything, it would just create excruciating pain. And so here I was basically not being able to eat and on oxygen, I was struggling to breathe. And I just knew that it was a matter of time before I would fail. And what's interesting is that one day my blood pressure tanked and all the muscles in my body began to contract. And I was having excruciating pain where it just felt like my abdomen was going to explode. And I, I screamed out for help. At the time, my aunt and my cousin were taking care of me. And uh, they called the hospice nurse who said, just give her some painkillers and call me back in a half hour. And uh, my cousin says, oh, we don't have a half hour. I'm going to call 911. And uh, the first ambulance came out, but they didn't really have the means to handle me. And they said, oh, and she's in hospice. And so they left, but I'm just so grateful my cousin was really persistent and she called 911 again. So they sent out a different crew and this time they actually took me into a hospital and they, they decided to admit me after they just drew all just like liters of bloody fluid from my abdomen. And they told me at that point that I would have to do chemo and just having uh, worked in that chemo, not chemo, but chemical warfare in biological warfare in that area in the military, I was aware of the, the history that chemotherapy actually comes out of the military's chemical warfare program. And so 
it didn't really make sense to me to go that route to take chemo because my you know immune system was already weakened and the chemo would add a lot more toxin a toxic burden to that and at that point in time i prayed and i asked god for guidance because i really didn't know what to do and i came very close to doing chemo because they were, the, the oncologist was so persuasive in telling me i had 4 weeks left to live and that chemo was my only hope. But after I prayed, what I heard back was ask for the cytology report. And uh, what's interesting is back then I didn't even know what a cytology re report was, but because they had drawn all this fluid out of my abdomen, they were going to analyze what was in that fluid in terms of cancer cells. And when I asked the oncologist for that, he said, Oh, we don't have time to wait for that report. 100%, it's going to be malignant. And if you don't do chemo, I'm just going to put you right back into hospice where you will most certainly die. But I pushed back because I just knew that there must be some reason that I was told to ask that question. And he finally agreed. And two weeks later, not two weeks, two days later, he came back and said, your intuition to wait for this report was a good one because it actually came back negative for cancer cells. And this opens up the opportunity for you to have surgery. Prior to that, they told me that I had cancer in the abdominal lining and that it had spread and that although I could do surgery, that it would have a low chance of success. But when he offered that, I took him up on it and it would take another three days before they could actually transfer me to the hospital that could do the surgery. And at that point, I had lost so much blood, I had to have five blood transfusions. And then they had to also drain the fluid in my lungs because it was just um, filling up to the point and they were just trying to evaluate whether I could even undergo a major surgery because when the surgeon looked at me, he said, oh, you just look too emaciated to even go through with this. But they finally decided to go for it. And I went through it and it took months of rehabilitation because by the time when I came out, they had me fully intubated and they were prepping me for the ICU. But I basically had to learn how to rewalk again. They would tie straps around me to go down the stairs and to be able to, you know, negotiate on uneven ground outside. And so it's really been a journey, but it's one where I am just so extremely grateful because after months of the rehabilitation, I regained my strength. And and it's really funny because all the fluid that I had gained, it was about 50 pounds of fluid that, that it added to my weight. And there were just so many miracles because they told me that I would never be able to get rid of that fluid unless I got put on diuretics because of the cancer. And of course, after my surgery, they confirmed that I had this very rare malignant form of ovarian cancer. What's really interesting is that in time, all the fluid drained out. And when it did come out of my body, all that was left was just literally skin on bones. I looked like this little stick person, but eventually I, I rebuilt my muscles and got into holistic health coaching because I just felt like if, if I can come out of hospice, there's no reason someone else couldn't do the same. And of course, I give God thanks. I, I know there was some divine orchestration in all of this in my healing and recovery, but I'm just grateful to still be here to be able to share this experience and encourage others.
Wow, that is that is incredible. I can't even I can't even imagine just going through that first of all physically and and to be able to persevere mentally the entire time. And there's you know so much evidence that's shown that people who give up in those times like they generally die pretty quickly. And so to be able to endure all of what you endured and to have the mental fortitude to actually see it through to the other side, that's absolutely incredible. I really am just grateful for all the support that I received because there's no way I could have made it through alone. There were times when I wanted to give up because there was so much pain in my body and also just not being able to breathe is probably, to me, it was worse and more frightening than some of the worst pains I went through. But, and so it was at times when I didn't want to go on, I would just have others pray for me. And, and I, and people I didn't even know from around the world, they were aware of what was going on and they would pray. And I literally would feel strengthened from people's prayers. And so I can't say enough about the importance of having a good support system when you're going through something that's life-threatening. Oh, absolutely. So were you, I know you, you prayed during this experience. Had you been a spiritual person prior to that? Or did this sort of develop a new like level of spirituality for you? What was that process like? I've always been spiritual throughout my life. It started at a very early age for me. But I would say that going through something like this kind of a crisis, it actually helped to grow my faith. And there were things that I learned that I wouldn't have learned any other way. And so it, I had to be able to draw from a strength um, and power that was greater than myself because it was just overwhelming to go through something like this. Oh, absolutely. And so how do you like help advise people in integrating both like the holistic health side and integrating spirituality into their lives to reach a more healthy, happy life? Yeah, I tell people that in order to heal and to be healthy and whole, you really have to consider and address all aspects of our humanity. And it's very easy. And certainly that's what I found in my own journey to just focus on the physical because it's what's easiest to understand. You, you will only probably get to a certain level and you're going to plateau. And so you're going to have to address other aspects such as emotional wellness. If there's conflicts or traumas that you've experienced, it's important to really address those and resolve those so that you can be in a place of peace. And it's really easy. Sometimes when things happen a long time ago, like from your childhood, it's easy to think. You just tend to minimize it and think, oh, it's no big deal. I'm over it. But if it's not been properly addressed, what happened even many years ago, it can really create an energetic influence on the cells of your body and it can weaken the immune system. And so it's important to look at that. And then in terms of spirituality, I think that's probably the most important area to address because what happens, the state of our physical health, it really trickles down from an energetic spiritual level. And so when we have a spiritual practice and we're disciplined about it, where it's sort of like a daily practice and it informs our actions, that's really the best place to be. However, it's just easy 
to become wrapped up around our daily activities, we lose sight of that. But when we do, then we lose a really important source of wisdom and also strength to, that can help us in facing whatever crisis or challenge that we may be facing. And so I really encourage people to practice their and to just develop a, a place, a daily practice of where you spend time in daily prayer, meditation, keeping a journal, having a gratitude journal. Because when you're facing something that's really frightening, it, it's easy to get carried away with the fear. When we operate out of fear, we're going to bear the fruit of fear, which is not good. And so whenever we make a decision, we really want to make it from a place of strength where we're centered and we're in a place of peace. So that's why I really think it's important to address whatever challenge you're facing from a holistic perspective, where you look at the physical, the emotional, and the spiritual. No, I couldn't agree more. You know, I think so many of the problems we have as a society are pretty much all linked back to just, it's just a nation of adults that are just damaged inner children. And we've never really had the tools as a society to deal with those kinds of things. And it's only in the last maybe few decades that science, psychology, mainstream research has begun to catch up with that a bit and start to put those messages out and stuff. But I mean, you're looking at essentially thousands and millions of years of human and primate evolution that was largely violence-based, largely trauma-based. And now this is the first century where we're, hey, like, let's do something different. Let's stop these negative patterns and, you know, let's mature as a species. And yeah, we deal with so much trauma from, from the past. And it's, I think it's a large, you know, contributor to school shootings and other mass shootings we have, things of that nature. It's just, there's a, definitely a better, like, life that we can build as a species, I believe. Oh, I totally agree with you. I, I think our society has valued the intellect to the point where we tend to just relegate emotions to just something that's just suppressed or repressed, and especially with the childhood traumas. And if we don't address and take care of that little girl or little boy within us, then that's you know exactly what you said. We just see these huge issues societally, and, and it needs to be addressed. Definitely. So I'd love to know, how has a failure or at least an apparent failure set you up for later success? And do you have a favorite failure? That's a really good question. I think what I perceive, at least for me, as a failure would be not really having a voice. I, I've been a good part of my life, I would say, I've felt so insecure and inadequate that if I'm in a group setting, for example, even if I had an opinion and I knew about whatever topic was being discussed, I often wouldn't say anything because I think I feared being judged or criticized. And, and that was like a self-imposed prison. But at the same time, I think what that actually enabled me to do was, as a result, I would listen to the opinions of others and, and you know, just learn from that. And I think it made me a very good listener, which I think is, is really invaluable because whenever you're trying to solve any kind of problem, you've got to tap into your collective resources and support system and really listen to what people have to say. And, and I think listening, in fact, is 
I think what will actually make a difference in what we're seeing going on with the great divide that we see, whether it's between the races, black versus white, or now there's Asian hate crimes, or Republicans versus Democrats. And so it it almost seems people just value so much what they think themselves that there's no patience or tolerance to listen to another perspective. And so I, I just think that active listening and empathetic listening will have a real place in how we come out of everything that we're facing right now. Mm, definitely. So what are one of three books that have greatly influenced your life? Oh, there's so many. <laughs> I have a huge library. But I would say one book that comes to mind would be, it's called Dying to Be Me, written by Anita Morjani. And I actually read her book when I was in hospice. She also had stage four cancer and her organs began to shut down and she went into a coma. But when she was in a coma, she actually crossed over into the spiritual realm And in that state, she experienced this unconditional love. She got to see her deceased father and realized that although she felt like she might have disappointed him, all she felt from him was unconditional love. And she gained the realization that we are all just magnificent beings and that there is nothing to fear nothing death is not to be feared because our essence our spirit will continue to live even though our physical body might deteriorate and so that was a book that was very encouraging and inspiring to me at a point where i really felt like just like almost all hope was lost trying to think of another book uh There's another book, it's not really long, but it's called, I think it's called As a Man Thinketh. And to me, that Mm. is really powerful. It actually comes out of a scripture in a Bible. And it's, it's basically, as a man thinketh, so is he. Or as a woman thinketh, so is she. And what that really taught me is that we really have to look at how we manage our minds, what we think about. Because we can actually create our realities based on, you know, how we think. And for example, when I was diagnosed with cancer, which is historically since former President Nixon declared the war on cancer back in the 1970s, the conventional medical approach is to take this, it's rather a violent approach. You either cut the cancer out or you poison it out with the chemotherapy, or you irradiate it with radiation. And so I, early on, I felt like my diagnosis was really a wake-up call. And when I did the research, I realized, oh, it's my actual body cells that have created the cancer cells. And would it make sense to adopt such, you know, a violent approach? And so I decided instead of having this defensive or offensive approach that I would actually embrace cancer and and just look at it for the lessons that I could be taught from the experience. And so I learned from that process just the importance of really looking at, at our perspective. Do we have a defensive posture or do we look at life like 
oh, everything is happening for my good and the good of those around me. If we can make that shift, then there will be less of a tendency to get in this defensive, like a fight or flight stance. And I think that can often change the outcome. Let's see, you want a third book? Let's see. I would say there's a book on the subtle energy anatomy. I think that's what it's called. And to me, it's just really fascinating because as I mentioned earlier, that what we see in physical form is really everything is energy. And if we address things from a, a purely physical perspective, we can probably get to a certain point, but sometimes it's slow acting, especially if we're seeking a holistic or natural cure. But if we look at things from an energetic perspective and we realize that before things actually manifest in the physical form, <clears throat> there's actually an energetic feel. And, and so if we realize then that there are perhaps energetic perturbances in our biofield, so the human body, it's just not what we see with our eyes there's actually a field that emanates from it. And we know this, for example, the heart's electromagnetic frequencies actually extend far beyond those of the brain. And there's actually medical equipment that can measure all of this. And knowing that there is this biofield, this aura that surrounds us, if we can actually address those perturbances that occur in our energy field, then that can trickle down to the physical and sometimes it can the whatever is ailing us it can often be resolved very quickly if we address things from this energetic perspective oh i totally agree and it's it's been really interesting to see uh i think there's like a, kind of an awakening going on i definitely seen a lot of it like on tiktok and stuff with I mean, really all generations or a lot of gen z and, and millennials um really coming into grips with that that energy is really all that matters and you look back even 100 years ago it's something like think and grow rich um by napoleon hill mm -hmm. and just understanding like the power of the mind and it's always fascinating to me because there's a lot of people who dismiss it and it's like you're still engaging in it like you're if you don't think it's going to work well that's what your brain is going to make happen like it's a self-fulfilling prophecy in both directions and i think one of the biggest issues we have today as a society is people not understanding their own power understanding the own their the power of their own brains whether it is because your your brain is you know filled with some limiting beliefs that you've maybe grown up with that we're still dealing with from trauma our grandparents had or our parents had and it just kind of trickles down it stays there in the genetic and, and energetic memory I and mean, you just continue to operate within those patterns and when you start to learn that you can control it then you're actually able to break free and craft the life that you want. And there's certainly a lot of systems that work of inequality and prejudice and racism and other types of discrimination. And all of those need to you know, be reimagined, but that starts with individual people and people created all the systems that we have. And so understanding that like, we can have something totally different. We can have a society that looks totally different, government that looks totally different, we can have an economy that looks totally different. We can have something that serves more people on a broader scale, but it still does start with individuals fully reimagining like their own lives and, and what they can do and how they can be a part of that. 
Absolutely. Yeah. One of the things that I realized in my own journey is that I have a choice in whatever happens in my life. I, I have decisions to make and I have a choice. And, and I think that's part of this reimagining our life is that instead of just accepting what the systems have handed down to us, we have a choice in how we receive our education or how our kids are educated. And I think it's important to really take full ownership of that and not just always do things just because that's how they've always been done. Mm, totally. So I'd love to know who have been some of your heroes throughout your life and how did they help or inspire you? There were many, I would say definitely my father is one of my biggest heroes. He was a fighter pilot during the Korean war and taught me at a very early age that whatever you do well and to have your priorities God first, country, family. And he overcame just a great amount of racism just to pursue his dream of becoming a fighter pilot because back, he grew up during the Great Depression era and was one of 16 children. And, and, and the likelihood of him fulfilling his dream of becoming a fighter pilot was slim because he was told early on that, oh, he could be like a mess attendant or a chef or something like that. And he loved just being around aircraft to the point where initially he just worked as a mechanic. And to see him fulfill his dreams has greatly inspired me. But there's many others. There's some, like when I was dealing with re really excruciating pain when I had ovarian cancer, Deepak Chopra really inspired me with something that he said, because at this point in time, uh, I was in the hospital where my body was actually convulsing involuntarily from the pain. And they put me on a morphine IV. And I was just really shocked because the morphine did nothing. It didn't even take the edge of the pain away from me. And in fact, it made me worse. And it, it created nausea. So they gave me anti-nausea medication. And, and, and then I just saw this vicious cycle of the pharmaceutical drugs and all the side effects. And so at that point in time, I just said, wait a minute, take me off of everything, get this IV out of me. And I put into practice something that I heard Deepak Chopra say, which is wherever you're feeling pain in the body, breathe into that space and send it love and compassion. And so I did that. And I did that for six hours because that's how long it took for me to actually resolve the pain. And so I'm just I'm just grateful for these really great thought leaders that cross between the medical science and spirituality because they've really integrated just large bodies of work. And there's just many other people. I could go on and on about just all these people who have inspired me, but certainly people who have a great deal of, of courage to speak out the truth, even when it's um, unpopular. There's many medical doctors, I think, today. Dr. Thomas Cowan is one, uh, Dr. Sherry Tenpenny. And they're speaking out, going, delving deeper into the current crisis that we find ourselves in to really look at what's the truth. And even though they are facing persecution in terms of getting deplatformed, they're continuing to get their message out. So if you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, what would it say and why? It would say, let go of fear and embrace love. And it would say that because 
I think that would help solve so many of the world's issues that we're confronted with today. A lot of the wars are fought out of fear. It's a desire to control. Why is there this desire to control? Is because there's a fear of maybe there's a lack of resources. But when we realize the abundance that is here on this earth, and, and you could see this when you spend time in nature, the, the birds, for example, they can always find things to eat and other animals. And so I, I really feel like if we can really look through our universe through the lens of love and not fear, that would really just prevent a lot of these conflicts just some of the like what i mentioned earlier with the the divide between people whether it's race or economically or even educationally a lot of it is fear-based and so if when we can let go of the fear and realize that th there's love that's really when i was laying literally on my deathbed in hospice what really came to me is this unconditional love, what I read about from Anita Morjani's book, and realizing that God is love, that is what it can really transform us. Because then we can go through all kinds of situations and not be afraid. And when we're not afraid, then we can really look at the issues that confront us from the proper perspective, because when you're afraid, the, the reaction is just, it's fight, flight, or freeze. And none of those lead to good results. And so when we can let go of the fear, then we can look at things from using reason, empathy, compassion. And when we come out from that space, that's what will not only be a blessing for us, but for those around us. And that's how we can transform society and the world. Mm. Couldn't agree more. Deanna, this has been such an amazing and enlightening conversation. Your journey is absolutely incredible. And we've, I feel like we've just barely scratched the surface, but this does bring me to my last question of the day. And that is, what is the kindest thing anyone has ever done for you? I would say that when, when I was really struggling with the cancer and uh, didn't really want to continue on with my life anymore, I had a friend who actually prayed for me and he actually prayed that God would give him the cancer because he felt like his body was stronger and could handle the cancer. And I was just overwhelmed by that. I, I just couldn't, at that point in time, I couldn't mm -hmm. imagine anyone praying to take on someone else's disease and illness. And wow. so yeah. powerful. Mm -hmm. Well, Deanna, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been an absolute pleasure getting to speak with you. Oh, thank you so much, Pacifico. I really appreciate all that you're doing with this podcast. And it's really been great to be here with you. Oh, thank you very much. Today's episode was brought to you by Prosperitas, making unforgettable videos for unforgettable companies. Visit prosperitasagency.com today to learn more. Thank you so much to all of our listeners for tuning in to today's show. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you found us so that others can find it as well. 
and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at the LUE Podcast, or visit our website at theluepodcast.com. And if you'd like to support this show even further, I'd love to invite you to become a patron of the show. For as little as $5 per month, you can help us continue to produce high-quality shows with amazing guests like you heard today. To become a patron, please visit patreon.com slash the LUE podcast. We look forward to having you tune in next time for the next episode of Law, the Universe, and Everything. I'm Pacifico Soldati, wishing you peace, love, and awesomeness. Yes.